Well, we're going to go into a brand new series. It's going to be a, about a three-week-long series that we're going to be dealing with, and it's called The Thrill of Hope, and today's message is entitled The Big Scare, The Big Scare. Now, listen, I probably, probably have said this a hundred-plus times over my years of being pastor here at Word of Life, but I love Christmas. I really do. I love Christmas on just so many levels. I love the buzz of the excitement in the air. I love the, the Christmas carols and the lights and the decorations that you see all over town. I think it's just so amazing, so wonderful. God is so cool to come up with this, high, uh, this idea and that we celebrate as we do. No other time of the year. No other time of the year. It's just so sinking cool to me. I love the lights and the decorations and the Christmas trees. I love the gifts. I don't know what you're hoping for, but I love the gifts. Marianne, I love the gifts, uh, and, and I love the family get-togethers, all the food and all the fun and all the cookies. And people just seem to be in a little bit better mood so, so often in this particular time of year. They're more generous, and they're more caring toward others. I'm telling you, it is a wonderful time of the year. Give me an amen if you would. <clears throat> And there is a message to be heard and a message to be proclaimed at Christmas time for every single person on this planet. And I believe it is called the message of hope. I believe that what we need to be able to proclaim without any hesitancy is the message of hope. Hope to the believer and to the unbeliever. Hope to the Christian and hope for the non-Christian. The, uh, uh, the story and the truth of Christmas is filled with hope. It is just filled with hope. But let me pause here. I want to let you know that I put this message together back in November. Early November is when I was putting this together because I knew what, where we were going and what we were doing. And I put on this note that at that particular time, at this Christmas time of the year, yet again, yet again in America, there is another school shooting that happened on November 14th, 2019 in Saugus High School in Southern California. Two students died a 14-year-old boy and a 16-year-old girl, and three others were severely wounded. And the suspect was a 10th grader who at this time, when I'm putting this message together, is in grave condition from a self-inflicted wound, but most of us probably know by now that he did die. He wasn't able to survive that, and he did die. And here's the, here's the, here's the catch for me on all of this, and that is that when the shooting began, it took just 16 seconds for the shooter to do what he did. 16 seconds. And there was absolutely no motive that was ever given why he did what he did. I'm telling you this because we see it all the time. We hear about this all the time. And in my humble opinion, I think we need to be praying more earnestly for our nation than ever before. In fact, let me just say it like this. Church, we, we pray for God to move one more time in a very powerful way in our nation, across this world. We pray that God, you would bring life and healing and hope through the gospel of Jesus Christ and in every nation of our world. And the reason why I pray that and the reason why I'm saying that today is because we believe here at Word of Life that hope, which is an anchor for our souls, his name is Jesus Christ. Say that with me. His name is Jesus Christ. And hope defined, we've defined this for many years as we've talked about hope. Hope defined in 2019 is hope is a confident expectation hooked into something solid. Hope is a confident expectation hooked into something that's solid. 
The hope that I'm talking about is not, come on, stay positive. Don't look down, look up. Everybody get excited about things. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about hoping for the best. I'm not talking about tossing a coin in a wishing well um, and holding on to a rabbit's foot while you're doing that so everything will go good for you as we move forward. It's not merely expressing hope for the sake of hope because hope in hope is no hope at all. Let me say that again. Let this sink in a little bit. Hope in hope is no hope at all. Hope is only as powerful as that to which it is connected to. And the hope that we have as believers and followers of Jesus, it's unique. It's a little bit peculiar to all other hopes that are in this world. In fact, let me read you a portion of scripture found in Hebrews chapter 6. Incredible incredible that God makes these promises. And not only does he make a promise to us, but he promises us with the promise that he will fulfill whatever it is that he promises us. That's good news, amen? That's good news. And it says in Hebrews chapter six, beginning with verse 17, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. And he confirmed it with an oath. He promised with a promise. He confirmed it with an oath. God did that so that two unchangeable things in which is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope uh, set before us uh, may be greatly encouraged. Listen to this, verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Let me say it again. We have this hope. We're talking about hope. We have this hope. Um, I just lost where I was. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, uh, firm and secure. It enters into the sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, who is our hope, Jesus has entered on our behalf and he has become the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The writer of Hebrews is making this completely clear and that is that hope as an anchor for our souls is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. It's not the Assemblies of God Church. It's not the Roman Catholic Church or any other denomination that you may be aware of. It's not anything to do with a person, with an individual like me or like you, whoever we may be. There is only one person that our hope is giving us the anchor that we have and his name is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. And it was God himself who brought that hope to this broken world for all people, for all people, every tribe, every kingdom, for all people, God sent all of this, the Christmas story that we're celebrating this weekend, the Christmas story that we're gonna be celebrating over these next few days. I think for most of mankind, in my humble opinion, I think for most of mankind, there seems to be a rather healthy fear and respect toward those who have authority. Now, I don't know about you, but typically when I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden I see a, see a police car or a trooper car, whatever it may be, coming my way, I let off on the gas because I know he has authority that the speed I'm going, he could pull me over and give me a ticket. Um, and and oh, wait a minute, I've never done that. No, I've, I, I've never gone beyond the speed limit. Father, forgive me for my sin. But anyhow, um, or, or when you get that letter from the IRS and we sit back and we say, oh my God, what, is, what, did, what did I do wrong with my taxes right now? But sometimes that kind of respect and those kind of issues and looking at people of authority, sometimes that can turn on us and it could end up being not only unhealthy, having an unhealthy fear, but even, even a hatred 
that some would have toward those who have authority. And that's a serious issue. It's a serious problem. And my question to you is, with that setup, is, well, how much more do people think toward God with an unhealthy fear? How many have been told by churches or individuals or whoever, whatever society may be right now, how many of us are wondering how people are thinking toward God because of the wrong things that they've said about God? And today we're trying to set the record straight here with this message. Most of the time, our fear towards, towards God is based on, based on and loaded with our guilt and shame and regret of our, of our past, things that we have done. We, we become fearful of God because of those kind of things. But if we really understood the message of the Christmas story, your, your unhealthy fear of God, if you would get into the story and understand this, it's going to diminish, diminish. Your unhealthy fear of God is just going to begin to go away because there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing that we need to fear. God is always ready to touch us and to help us through. The Christmas story is not new to most of us in this room today. And you need to know that there is an amazing message here. And it's life-changing. Whether you are a Christian or not a Christian yet, it is a life-changing message. So let me set, set up the story this morning of, of Christmas. Let me set up this story of Christmas for you this morning. Before we read in the scripture, at this particular time in history, at this particular time, there was an extraordinary fear. This is around the birth of Christ now is where we're at. There was an extraordinary fear toward God back then. And the reason being is, is that no one, no one has heard from God in over 400 years. There has been no prophet that's been raised up. There's been no miracles that were done. Nothing. God is silent. Nothing is happening for 400 years. That's a long time. That's a very long time. People are fearful. And in the midst of all of the silence, God finally breaks through the silence to make himself known. And God sent to all of us the best news, the best news that we could ever hear. And then this scene that is so famous and so dear to so many of our hearts, found in Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. So Joseph went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went uh, there to register with Mary, who was pledged to marry him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. There was no guest room available for them. Buried in this scene is an amazing truth, in my opinion. Just an amazing truth. And I want to challenge you today as we're hearing this. Some of us have heard these stories over and over again about Christmas. And you can't change a whole lot about that story because it is what it is. And we get to celebrate it every year. So as we look into this, buried into this scene is an amazing, amazing truth. And if that truth for every one of us went from here to here... If that truth went from this place to this place, it would change your entire perspective on God for the rest of your life. I am confident of that because this guy talking to you has been serving God for 48 years of my life. And I've come to know that God loves me unconditionally and he loves you unconditionally. But we also have that trail behind us of our past mistakes and the things that we've done that we regret we feel that God is upset with us over. But if you would take that truth and go from there to here, it's going to change your perspective of God 
forever. Go with me to Luke chapter two, verse eight. I wanna go a little bit deeper here. And it says in verse eight, it says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Stop there just for a moment. Keeping their flocks over uh, by night. Now I'm assuming, my humble opinion with these shepherds, I've been to Israel twice. I've seen some of this that I'm talking to you about. Um, These shepherds are more than likely are, are just laying on their backs, chilling. I mean, it's dark time. All the sheep are gathered together right there, and they're sort of hanging around, and uh, they're just chilling. And then all of a sudden, you know, right now it's another night that they're in, and then all of a sudden, bam, bam, the angel of the Lord appeared, and the glory of God shone all around them. Now, can you imagine that? It's, it's a normal night. The stars are everywhere. It's beautiful where they're at right now. And bam, all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord appeared and the glory of God shone all around them. And the, the, this bright light hits the shepherds, needless to say, and they're blinded. We're assuming that the sheep would scatter in fear. The shepherds, their eyes haven't adjusted yet. And the Bible says they were terrified. I don't know about you, but I would be terrified. They were terrified is what the Bible says. And think about that. It's the black of night and suddenly angels, angels appear and the sky lights up like never before. And these rugged outdoorsmen who don't become afraid very often of anything, these guys and gals are tough. They're not scared easily. But the Bible says in verse nine, I read it to you. And it says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. I'm not gonna walk outside tonight if there's a bunch of stars out there because I don't know what may happen and it would scare me to death as well. Okay, so I'm assuming that the shepherds are thinking this thought. They're thinking that this has to be a God thing that's happening right now. I I mean, they're probably just, they're just taken by surprise and they're, they're thinking, more than likely they're thinking, this is a God thing and this is not good news. Remember, they haven't heard from God in 400 years. And this is, this, is, uh, this, is not a, this is not good news for us. God's speaking through an angel and he says something like this. He says, don't be afraid. Go with me to verse 10. He says, don't be, fr- be afraid. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. It's like God would say something like this. Let me, let me invert it into what I, I think maybe how God said it. God would say something like this. Whatever my pre- presence brought to your mind, erase that. Just erase that. I know you're filled with fear right now. Just erase that. Whatever bad thing you thought was going to happen, it's not going to happen. No matter what you think, it's not going to happen. Whatever you have assumed, I want you to know you're wrong. You're wrong. That won't happen. Then go to verse 10, the rest of that verse B, part B there. And it says, uh, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. (coughs) The angel, (coughs) the angel is saying, Randy, take a drink of water real quick. (coughs) No, he didn't say it. I said it. Um, The angel is saying, God has a message for you and it's good news. God has a message for you and it's good news. It's good news. It's not good news for just good people. It's not good news for just holy people. It's not good news for just Jewish Jewish people. It's not good news for just righteous people. No, the scripture says, no, it is good news for all people. It is good news for how many? 
all people. How many all people do we have here right now? Give me a little wave, okay? All of us, it's good news for all people. You see, the God of heaven has decided to do something and it has absolutely nothing to do with anybody's behavior. Absolutely nothing, nothing to do with anyone's behavior, which means your behavior, your personal righteousness, your attempts to being good, your inconsistencies, your sin is irrelevant at this moment. It is irrelevant. This is something that God has himself decided to do. Not because of you, but in spite of you. And that's why you and I don't need to be afraid. God is saying, this is all for you. I'm doing it for you, in spite of you, in spite of whatever you've done wrong. It's, it doesn't matter anymore. Because of what Jesus has done and is going to do for each and every one of us at the end of the story. It's a wonderful truth. So listen, what makes us afraid of God is all the bad stuff that we've done. I've already said that. And the angel said, uh, uh, in Luke chapter 11, let me go there, Luke chapter 2, sorry, verse 11, and it says these words. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is the best news ever. A Savior has been born to you, and God knows exactly what you need. God knows exactly what each and every one of us need. And you don't need a tutor. You don't need an instructor. You don't need an inspirational speaker. You don't need a disciplinarian. You don't need a whole bunch more rules to follow. What you need is a Savior. What I need is a Savior. What they need outside these doors, they need a savior, and they need you and I to proclaim that. In Luke chapter two, verses 12 and 13, it says these words, this will be a sign to you and you will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. What the angel was not saying, he was not saying, oh, you lucky shepherds, you thought you were going to get knocked out, but you're not. Not that at all. No, no, no. Not that at all. In other words, uh, God gets all the credit for what he's, that, that is what, what's about to happen. Because this whole idea, the whole idea originated by God. The whole idea was originated by God. The idea was leveraged by God. This whole idea came about by God. It all began with God. This was God's idea. It ends with God. And it has nothing to do with how good you and I may be. It is for all men and women, irrespective if you've been good or bad. It just certainly doesn't matter. Excuse me. <clears throat> this is something that God decided to do for all men and all women. And God ends up getting all the credit. God gets, gets all the credit and all the glory for what he has done. Give me an amen to that. In Luke 2.14, it says these words. It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace on those on whom his favor rests. And on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When you and I understand that God sent a savior into our world and that God has offered salvation to every single person who calls out to God and who chooses to believe in God, God literally forgives you of your sin immediately at that moment. Immediately at that moment. Immediately, 16 years old when I got saved, I gave my life to Jesus as a Roman Catholic and my life was changed. And I had a terrible tongue, I had a horrible tongue. 
I used this tongue to rip apart people. It was terrible. I'm not kidding. For many years of my life, it was terrible. And when I realized that God had died for me and my sins were forgiven, that weight that I had carried was completely, totally lifted off from me. I realized that God, and it doesn't mean that I didn't stumble and fall, <coughs> because I did. Over and over again, but God has, was the one who was able to get me through to this other side. God is the one who was ma- able to make it happen for me. When you and I understand that God sent that Savior for us, you can have your sins forgiven only by God. Your sin, literally, God forgives you of your sin. And when that settles into your heart, and when you see that you allow that truth experience to go on, again, it goes from here to here, when you really understand this, when you really allow this to be in your heart and your soul, what God has done for you, God gets all the credit, and we end up getting all the peace, and we end up getting all of the hope that God makes available to us. Again, Randy Chiz is not a righteous man, believe me. <laughs> talk to my wife, talk to my, my family, they'll tell you the truth, you know. It's because of what Jesus has done. We get, when we get to the place where we accept and embrace this message from God, and we realize that my relationship with God has absolutely nothing, nothing to do with what I've done. I can never do anything for God, to God, with God that will give him favor over me because of what I've done. God gets all the credit, and we end up getting all of the peace and all of the hope he makes available to us. But, but, if you don't accept this wonderful news, and you try to leverage your relationship based on what you have done or what you're going to try to do, then God is going to get very little credit for anything. And you will never have a peace and a hope that only God can bring you. You'll never have it. I I hope I'm not sounding cocky. I hope I'm not sounding like I'm arrogant because God has given me favor. I'm talking to a room full of people who had that same ability to say, it's not by me, it's all by God. I'm not going to heaven because I've done things right. I've given a lot of money. It's none of that. It's because of what God has done for us. Do you agree with me on that? Because you will constantly, when you and I think, when we're thinking that we need to do something that will please God, and we constantly constantly end up uh, wrestling with this whole idea that if, if I would have just tried harder, if I would have just tried harder, if I'd have been a better husband, if I'd have been a better wife, if I had been a better, been a better son or a daughter or a brother or a sister, if I could have just tried harder, if I could have given more, I, I, I probably would have that favor. Listen, there will always be something that says to you on the inside, if you're doing this your way and not doing it God's way, there's always going to be something on the inside of you that's going to say, I haven't done enough. I should have done more. I could have done more. And then to hear anything coming our way from God causes fear and doubt and dread like the shepherds were dealing with that night when that all happened. The reason why is because fear erases peace that God intends to give you. Fear erases all the hope that our souls are longing for. But when we can see all of this has been done by God's doing in spite of our past, in spite of our history, in spite of our records of wrongs, Right there, right there, God gets all the glory, and you get all the peace, and you get all the hope. I get all the peace, and I get all the hope, and you and I, and anyone, anywhere in this big old world, any one of us can be right with God through that little baby that was laying in that manger. Every one of us, 
And the huge majority of us in this room have already committed that. I don't know about you, but my peace and my hope comes from recognizing that God is the one who has initiated all of this over 2,000 years ago. And from generation after generation to our generation right here in this place today, we now know that there is a Savior. There is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I think he deserves a round of applause. (coughs) I want to close off. I want to close off from this message of Christmas that God gets all the glory and we get all the peace and the hope. And I want to tell you a story that's familiar probably to many of us that are in this room. <clears throat> it's a story about a guy that no one thought that he would ever make a move toward God, never. They thought that this guy would never do this. This is back in, in Jesus' day. And in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, it begins to explain to us what's going on. Jesus entered into Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Jesus, is, Jesus entering into Jericho, of course, is a big deal. And the reason why it's a big deal going into Jericho is because whoever went into Jericho, it seems like that they were tagged. It seemed like that there was always something that would go bad. It was not a good place. It was not a good city to go to. In fact, it was a cursed city. I don't know about you, but I believe a lot of people are running on low, running low on hope today. I believe that a lot of people just don't know who to trust and where to turn. I also believe that, that uh, everybody knows somebody who gives you the eebie-jeebies. Everybody knows somebody who gives you the eebie-jeebies. And if you don't know what eebie-jeebies mean, you're probably the one who's making people feel a little uncomfortable today. But I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, But the fact of the matter is, um, that's that's exactly what the people of that day were thinking about Zacchaeus, that tax collector. They were thinking of him that he's the guy who's got the eebie-jeebies in the town. He's the guy that nobody liked. He was the guy that they were convinced that God had nothing to do with him. In fact, Zacchaeus, the Bible says he was a chief tax collector. He was the chief tax collector, which means the Jews, their thoughts, the Jews were thinking these thoughts that even God doesn't like this guy because he's so corrupt, so he's, he's, he is so evil. They knew that wealth coming to this guy, Zacchaeus, was coming from others. He was just uh, taking others' money. And we find in verse 3, verse 3, that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, the Bible says. And remember, he's the EBGB guy. He's the one that nobody likes. And I would even place a $200 bet if I was a betting man. I'm not. I don't bet. I don't trust in that at all. But anyhow, if I was a betting man, I I think I would bet you $200 that every single one of us have wanted to give up on somebody that gives us EBGBs, even within our family sometimes, within our community, within our neighborhood, within our church maybe. I don't know. I don't know who these people may be, but we all feel at times, because they're weird and they're different, there's no hope for that person. Just like we feel that there's no hope for us if anybody ever knew our sin that we really had. But that's not the way the gospel plays out for this. That's not the way that God has, the plan that God has for every one of us. Because I want you to know, I want you to know that um, Zacchaeus, even though he wanted to see Jesus, every one of us have wanted to give up on that acquaintance and... uh, you wanted to give up on that story with them because you just don't believe that they're worthy, that they don't deserve any of that. And uh, the reason why is, is because God, the reason why we have to pursue them is because God never gave up on us. God never gave up on us. God never gave up on you and he's never gave up on me. And if you're here today and have not yet given your life to Christ, he's not gonna give up on you. He's gonna continue to pursue you because he loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Actually, God 
What God wants from every one of us is that God wants us to pursue them. In fact, the truth of the matter is God wants you and God wants me to be someone who would try to reach those people who are far from God. That's God's plan. That's what God wants to do with each and every one of us. I believe God wants to pursue them through you and through me. And one of the things that I love about Word of Life Church is nobody here at Word of Life think they have it all together. All of us are dealing with something. All of us have a past that we regret and wish we didn't do. But we, all of us, those of us who attend Word of Life, many of us have put our faith and trust in Christ. That's why, that's why we do what we do here every single Sunday at Word of Life. Our number one goal every single Sunday is that people would come to know who Jesus is. That's our number one goal. If you're here for the very first time, we don't want you to be impressed by anything but Jesus here. That's what we want. And we're hoping, I'm hoping as pastor of this church that the people you're sitting by, the people that you're having coffee with in the cafe, whoever, wherever you find yourself, that you would find something different about that man, that woman, that person, that young adult, whoever they may be. There's something different about it. And I think I want what they've got. I don't know what it is, but I think I want what they've got. The reality is every Sunday we want, every single Sunday we want people to know who God is and, uh, and who gives us the thrill of hope that we have today. We're looking forward to our Christmas Eve services on Monday, December 23rd at 6 p.m. and on Tuesday, December 24th at 6 p.m. It's a one-hour service from the very beginning to the very end. These services are always great. Our Christmas Eve services are beautiful. It is a starlit uh, uh, environment that we're going to be in here with. It's going to be wonderful. Um, so I'm challenging you to invite out your coworkers, neighbors, family, friends <coughs> who would come and be a part of this. And that I promise you as your pastor that we will do the best that we can as the leadership of the church to make sure that these people know that they are loved and welcomed and wanted here at Word of Life. We really do want people to come to know Christ in a wonderful way. In Luke chapter 19 verses 3 and 4, it says these words. It says, and he wanted... He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran and climbed a sycamore tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way, is what the Bible says. So here's Zacchaeus. Society has completely given up on this guy. Um, yet Zacchaeus proves to all of us that, that men and women, coworkers, classmates, those people that you may think wherever you work, your neighborhood, whoever they may be, you may think for whatever reason there's no hope because they're so weird, too much, so many eebie-jeebies coming from them, whatever those things are. I'm here to tell you, my friend, you're wrong. Because yes, there's always hope with God. And actually Zacchaeus would do just about anything at this moment right now as he's making his way toward Jesus. He just wanted to meet Jesus. In verse five of that same chapter, it says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. When Jesus reached out at that particular spot and he saw that man standing there, Zacchaeus saw him there, who wanted to see Jesus, who wanted to be restored to God, Jesus called out by name, called him out by name. And my friend right there, when he said the word Zacchaeus to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus then would automatically, immediately in my opinion, all of a sudden realize, I'm not guilty. I'm guilty for what I've done, but I'm not guilty before God. He has forgiven me of my sin. I remember that moment. I remember when I was forgiven of my sin. It went shot through me like nothing I've ever had before in my life. I was forgiven by God. And that's what this guy was ex experiencing. 
Jesus tells Zacchaeus face to face, your past sin is irrelevant to me. And I'm fully expecting on December 23rd and 24th, in this place, on those evenings, 6 p.m., I'm, I'm anticipating that there are gonna be people who are gonna find that spot, find that moment when all of a sudden they'll hear God call them by name. They will hear something. There will be a tug on the inside of them that there's something to all of this. There's something of God in the midst of all of this. In verses six and seven, it says, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. <coughs> and all the people saw this and began to mutter. Did you hear that? The people saw all of this and they began to mutter that he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. My, my, my. But that's our Savior. And that's what he wants you and I to do. He wants you and I to do. One, one thing I love about Jesus was he was not scared of guilt by association. He knew that they were muttering about him. Whatever mutter means, I know it's not good. The lesson for all of us here at Word of Life is that Jesus is teaching us here that I don't have to approve of what you do to accept you and to love you as a person that matters to God. More than likely, I'm doing things that offend you. And I'm doing things. That doesn't mean you can stop loving me. You gotta love me more. You gotta help me through this. And I need to help you through this. And we need to help one another through this. Somebody give me an amen or I'm gonna keep going with that. <coughs> so we find this in verse eight, amazing verse. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. By the way, God doesn't make us do this. God isn't saying, if you really love me, you give me money. Don't misinterpret this scripture. I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. That's what God does say. No, I'm just kidding. He says, I will pay them back 10 times the amount. This is a jaw-dropping expression of his faith and trust in Christ. All I can say about this is that you can't, you cannot follow Jesus and stay the same. You cannot come to know who Jesus is and you're no different than you were five years ago, 10 years ago, three years ago. When you come to know Jesus, he changes us. He changes us. The closer we get to Jesus, the more he reaches into our lives and he changes you and me from the inside out to become all that he's created us to be. <coughs> Would you stand with me to your feet? For Zacchaeus, Jesus unlocked generosity in his heart. This was his, his vice. This is what was keeping him back. And Jesus reached in inside of him and he let him go, let go of that vice. Zacchaeus is no longer, he's no longer the same. Zacchaeus, uh, it, it wasn't, what can I get from people? Now the new Zacchaeus, the new man is what can I give them? How can I make this up? What can I do for them? And in verses nine and 10, it says, then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. Would you give the Lord a round of applause? What a good God we serve. Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? All of this, all of this church has originated by God himself. It was God who would leverage forgiveness. It was God who would, who would leverage salvation, eternal life, recovery, <coughs> sins are forgiven. Jesus came for a reason and it was all for good news. It was good news for all people. And this was originated by God. 
It was leveraged by God and it will end with God. It's his plan and purpose, this wonderful Christmas story. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I wanna ask you, my friend, whoever you may be in this room today, and I know there's a, a few, that maybe just maybe you're, you're not serving God, you're not following God. Maybe just maybe there's, there's something that's going on between you and God. Maybe you, you've had a bad experience, maybe you've been abused, whatever the situation, and you can just sit there and hold your fist to God and say, if you exist, why did you let that happen? My friend, the God of heaven has a plan, even in the midst of our worst days. God has a plan. It's not easy, but he has a plan. And the only way you will experience that plan is if you give your life to Jesus. Not come to, my, not, not come to Word of Life Church, not sitting down talking with somebody here at the church because they're a strong Christian. The only way your life is going to change is when you give your life to Jesus. And you need to do that today. Not to Word of Life. We're not asking you to give your life to this church. <laughs> we can't help you that well. But Jesus can. He can change everything. So heads bowed and eyes closed, please. If you're here today, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. The simple prayer is going to invite Jesus into my heart. And you can pray that same prayer. And I'm going to ask you to do that. I want you to pray it aloud. You can whisper it. And you can even say it with your lips. Or you can even say it in your mind. But I want you to say these words. Say it with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I give you my life today. And I admit to you I'm a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And become the Lord and leader of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. My friend, if you've prayed that prayer or anything similar to that, and you've given your life to Jesus, right now, today, right now, you're born again. You were this guy, you were this girl when you walked in here. And if you've given your life to Jesus, now you're this guy. And now you're this girl. And God has done something special in you. And if you did that today, heads down. Come on, I, want, I don't want to embarrass anybody. Put your heads down, by, eyes closed. If that was you today, on my far left, would you just give me a wave? Lift up your hand and wave at me that you gave your life to Jesus today. Thank you for the two in the back. Thank you for this one over here. Over in the next row over, going over toward the right, my right. Give me a wave if that's you, if you gave your life to Jesus today. How about this big section right here in the center? Center left. Give me a wave if that's you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Over here to my right. Any of you? Any of you? Thank you, bud. Appreciate it. Anybody else over here to my right? Far right. If you're giving your life to Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, thank you for these Men and women who have committed themselves to you today, make Jesus known, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, Luke. We're going to have people, if you want prayer for anything, our intercessors are here for you to be prayed for if you'd like. We're going to finish one song, and you're going to be out of here. God bless you.